When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to On Boys, real talk about parenting, teaching, and reaching tomorrow's men. We're your co-hosts, Jennifer L.W. Fink of buildingboys.net and Janet Allison of boysalive.com. My co-host, Jennifer Fink, is off scuba diving on some tropical island, and I'm here excitedly with Mark St. Laurent, who is going to share with us his experience of being a stay-at-home dad, homeschooling, and generally that evolution of boy to man and what it is like to be an adult male in today's world. So we have a lot to talk about. Mark, welcome. Thank you very much for having me, Janet. It's a pleasure to be here. You grew up in New Hampshire. What was life what was life like growing up and your evolution into how you chose to be a stay-at-home dad? Yeah. Growing up in New Hampshire in the 80s, uh, my friend and I often reminisce about what that was like. And, you know, it was pretty spectacular as far as being a, a free-range kid. Like, I think many people across the country got to experience back then. And so, I loved that. I loved being on my own from sunup till sundown and not my parents not knowing where I was, but being safe and constructing and just building my world. I really, really, really loved that. But of course, like anything, it's it's complicated. I certainly didn't get some of the things that we're trying to provide for my son now. And so I'm always cognizant of that as a parent. I guess for me, up until about the age of 10, 11, 12, everything seemed great. And then, you know, for the first time I started to experience, I guess what I would call bouts of depression. And along the same time, um, I started to do things that I didn't readily admit to anyone. You know, I started to get kind of obsessive about certain things. And I started to have little tics, which I would later identify as having kind of obsessive compulsive behaviors, tendencies. Mm -hmm. And this is before the internet. So of course, when you're doing that as a 10, 11 or 12 year old, you just have no idea what's going on. Right. Very worrisome. And Mm -hmm. as you said, you can't Google it. Right. And then you just keep it a deep, dark secret. (laughs) And so that manifested into different areas in my life, you know, in college and and beyond. And so, like I mentioned, that was always my deep, dark secret. And I, I do remember at one point trying to discuss that with my mother. I wouldn't dare discuss that with my father, unfortunately, at the time. Um, my dad was very masculine. My dad was very blue collar and he was great in so many ways, but he was very challenging in other ways, not very emotionally supportive. And, and my brother was the same way. And so I really, I didn't have anyone to turn to because at that time when I was like 12, I remember being kind of at my wits end with that type of behavior. I can remember one time my friends were outside playing basketball and I needed to get out there as fast as I could. And I got into one of those conundrums of, of, of obsessive touching with my right hand. And I ended up, you know, getting emotional about that. And so when my mom and I were on our way to vacation, I said, mom, I got to tell you something. And I, I told her, I said, you know, this stuff is going on. 
I don't know what, what to do about it. And she didn't look at me and she said, everyone has their problems. And then she kept, kept driving. (laughs) And so that was it. And so I guess the reason I'm starting with this is because that kind of informed my early adult years too. And whatever issues I had at that age, once I started working, I just bottled everything up. Um, after college, I started working in a financial firm. It was a lot of stress working as an analyst. You know, I was just resorting to my my typical coping strategy, which was to go out at night and drink beers and party and forget about it. And so I remember at one one point I said, God, you know, why am I always so angry <laughs> and, and intermittently sad? And I went to see a therapist finally. And New England can be a tough place to grow up as a boy, I think. There's a strong puritanical work ethic that pervades the culture. And so work is really valued, status and wealth, it's, it's really valued, but sharing your emotions is not. And so I kind of went to see a therapist in secret. And I felt really uneasy about that. And in retrospect, now I, I have no qualms about seeing anyone or talking to anyone. But anyways, I can remember he was at least 80 years old and he was a Freudian psychologist and he didn't say anything for two meetings. We had discussed my mom at the beginning and then he said, well, what about your dad? And I'm talking. And then all of a sudden, after all this time of him not doing anything, he sat up and he said, what was that? And I said, what? He said, you just smashed your head against the wall behind you. And I said, I did? And he said, yep. And so that began my first foray into kind of being able to talk about things from my childhood. Wow. And it, and it set me on a different path. And it opened me up quite a bit. And so I leveraged that going forward. And I started to read, you know, some different books and seeking different help uh, from different people. Once I had a child and a house and more responsibility, I kind of stopped doing all that to my detriment. Because you had to be the provider. Yeah, and I just felt an immense sense of guilt and self-indulgence if I said, okay, well, Carissa, I know you're working right now, but I'm going to spend the next two hours going to see someone. And Mm -hmm. not that she had any issues with it. I just, it was too much, too much of a burden for me, too much of a guilt trip, even though it was self-imposed. Yeah. And I want to pause right here because I want to reflect on this story that this timeline that you've given us. And thank you for sharing this. I I can imagine it's not easy. And I can also imagine it is a very similar experience for many, many men, also women. I feel like we're at this generation that is the change generation of our, the way we were parented was much like your dad, much Mm -hmm. like your mom, like can't talk about it. Our family doesn't go to therapy. So you're in a box. You have nothing to turn to. Mm -hmm. And now I think part of the conundrum that we're in is we have men who this is how they were raised. But now all of a sudden we're expecting our fathers to be emotionally available and all all of the things, not only earn the money, if that's the choice of the family, but do all these other things, be all these other things, be a great dad for your son. Mm-hmm. And it's kind of an unrealistic expectation. Yes. And so I think men now who are fathers, we are expecting them to be all things to everyone. And it's impossible. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, I would agree with that. And when we lived in Maine, I did all the things that I thought I was supposed to do. This is after our son was born. We bought a nice house with a nice yard and quit working at at my job in finance. And I was going to be home for a year or two, and I was going to be remodeling our house. And I soon realized that those things were impossible to do well in conjunction remodel a house while we lived inside of it while taking care of a newborn. And I was stressed out and we took on way too much. The yard was immense and required 10 hours to 20 hours of work a week. Being a stay-at-home dad in New England, uh, there's a stigma attached to that. And it wasn't great for my self-esteem, even though I tried to not let it bother me. I remember working at the house, running down with Sam to see my neighbor, Myron, who was like a classic old school Mainer. And this light bulb went off in his head because Sam was with me. And I remember him saying, oh, you're nothing but a nanny. And I was like, so taken aback by that because we were friends. You know, we chatted an hour or two a day. Talk about being emasculated. I'd like to think that I'm stronger than that. But I I faced criticism like that constantly. You know, having that house, having that burden, not being able to be as good of a dad and a husband as I wanted to because of all the extra stuff going on. We decided to sell the house. And part of the reason was because, you know, we were living in Maine and it happens to be the highest um, percentage of non-Hispanic whites in the country, I think, Mm 94.4%. And Sam is uh, mixed race, half Asian. And I can just remember how boys like that grew up in my town, which was only about 40 minutes away from where we were living. And and I I didn't want to replicate that upbringing for Sam because we got a taste of it early on there. You know, he kind of stuck out like a sore thumb and people would always be asking us questions about him. And that in itself, while can be benign, it does shape his personality as being other than. Right. And I was like, man, I don't want this for him. I don't want him to be segregated and segmented in that way. And so when my wife had the opportunity to move to Los Angeles, and we did, which was a challenging decision to make because all of our family and friends were there. We both grew up there Mm -hmm. and we had just bought a house. Right. And I was like, this isn't working. You know, this is someone else's ideal of what it's like to be a parent and to be a responsible father and husband and we should go. And so we went and it was a really, 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 really great decision in many ways because it exposed Sam to a lot more diversity, even though it's Los Angeles and there is obviously a culture that is hyper-focused on status and career. At the same time, there's a lot more left liberal leanings. And so I did meet a lot of other dads there who just didn't care. Mm -hmm. Um, I was hanging out with a guy who worked in the music business and he had made millions of dollars and he no longer worked. And so he would just swing by all the time to just play tennis or to go for walks or to do whatever. And it just, I don't even think he ever asked me what I used to do for work. It just didn't matter. Wow. And that was really refreshing. Mm -hmm. And so it also gave me an opportunity to create some space, a 3000 mile buffer zone (laughs) from my parents and kind of that upbringing. Right before we left, my grandfather was dying, my dad's dad, and they had had a difficult relationship. They never talked about anything. And he had come to our house to to die. He They were administering morphine and he wanted to die outside of the hospice. And so he was there, but he was only there physically. And I I was like, man, I can't believe this, but they're still not going to talk. I could just tell that he was just going to pass. So I said, man, in 40 years, I don't want this to be my relationship with my father. It was a really pivotal and poignant part of my life that also kind of encouraged me to create some separation 
so I could re-examine what we were doing, you know, with our own child. Um, once we were in Los Angeles, it opened us up to a transformation and it allowed us to start parenting the way we really wanted to parent, to parent free from other people's ideals. Now, I know there's more to the story because you live in Portland now. So there was definitely a change in there somewhere. And For I sure. think we forgot to say that Sam is eight. Is that right? He's, seven? yeah, almost. He's seven and a half now. Seven yeah. and a half, which matters when you're seven and a half. Mm-hmm. Yes. We're homeschoolers by attrition, I would say, in that it was never my intention to be a stay-at-home dad for a long period of time. Not because I wouldn't want to, um, just because I didn't think that he would want to be at home because it's not the way I grew up. You know, there was no one, I don't think, in my hometown that was homeschooled. Unfortunately, it had a stigma of either someone who might be uber religious or someone who whose kid was mercilessly bullied and, and you know, that was their last resort, honestly. Mm-hmm. And so that's just the mindset I grew up in. And I was always saying people, oh, yeah, well, I'll be at back, back at work in a year or two, which is kind of funny now. We've probably interviewed at 25 schools and enrolled him at 12 different schools and <laughs> over the last seven and a half years. And it's just never, ever, ever been a good fit, despite our best intentions. Well, I just commend you in so many ways for breaking so many molds, Mark, every step of the way. And that comes from really listening to what you value and what your family values and what's important and going in that direction rather than looking around and saying, oh my gosh, we have to do it this way. We have to go to this school because mm-hmm. that's where everybody goes. And that mm-hmm. you're really able to listen to your to yourself and to your son and what he needs. And that is hard won knowledge. You've been through a lot to get there. And I know our listeners are curious about what it is like to do something differently. I talk to moms all the time that have wishes for how it could be and feeling overwhelmed with the house, the yard, all of that, and wishing for something more simple. And it sounds like you have been able to manifest that and create your life the way you want it to be for your own family. Thank you for saying that. Um, It feels good to hear that because it's a struggle and it's, you know, we live in a vacuum where we discuss these things all the time, almost on a nightly basis. And my wife and I have always been like that. Even before Sam was born, we'd walk every night. Where do we want to live? How do we want to live? And we've really worked hard to manifest that. And so Portland is, is an interesting thing because we're not like this necessarily. I'm pretty pragmatic and practical, but when we were in Maine, for some reason, Portland was calling to us. And I had honestly never even seen a video of Portland, Oregon. The only reason it was on our radar is because of the show Portlandia and had been in the media. And for whatever reason, I said, I, I think this is some place we should check out. And we've traveled a lot and we've checked out a lot of places. But when my wife got the opportunity to move to Los Angeles, our intention was not to raise the son in Los Angeles, but it would get us across the country. So when we were living in Los Angeles, my parents came and they said, wow, you guys seem like, you know, you have a pretty great life here. And I said, yeah, you know, it's turning out to be that way. And then the next morning I looked at my wife, I said, we got to get out of here. We got to go check out Portland because I know we're never going to leave. And Mm -hmm. I said, let's go check out Portland. And we flew up there and we actually, we rented an Airbnb in Lad's Edition. He said, imagine we moved here and we lived in this neighborhood and it exceeded our expectations in every way. We couldn't believe it. 
how amazing Portland was. Yeah. And I, for our listeners out there who are not so familiar with Portland, Portland in May is amazing. Portland in January and February is not so, not so amazing. Uh, people don't come here in January and decide to move here because it's pretty gray and gloomy at this time of year. But True. May is beautiful. So you timed that just right. Yes. And just to be fair to Portland, Jan Portland in January is leaps and bounds better than Portland uh, January in, in Maine. This is true. This is true. <laughs> Having lived in Maine and, and gone through many uh, sub-zero days. Yes, right. indeed. <laughs> and so we decided to move. And it's funny because where we landed, um, the house we've now been in for four years, is in Lad's Edition, the very same neighborhood. And we can see the house that we rented when we came to visit. So tell us what a day of homeschool is like for you and Sam. Are sure. you, is it just the two of you or are you off with other homeschoolers? He did try one year at public school last year. We've had that perspective. He's a pretty autodidactic kid and he spends a lot of time reading. I guess it would be more of like an unschool philosophy um, with instruction mixed in. And so I try to, since he has access to everything that he would ever need to know on his iPad, I try to do a, a mix of, of things. And we have programs for like arithmetic on his iPad where he can learn how to add and subtract and multiply and divide and learn states and where they go and capitals and things like that. I like cute clothes. I like having stylish outfits and I hate shopping. Armoire makes getting dressed easier. Armoire is a clothing rental membership option. And Janet and I recently have both tried it out. And you guys, it is so much fun. You go to their website, you get to take a little quick style quiz, takes five minutes, and then you get presented a list of beautiful clothing, pictures, wonderful clothes that you can pick out and get delivered to your house for you to try and wear in the comfort of your own home without going out and determine what looks cute put together outfits without investing a ton of money. Right now, our listeners can give Armoire a try and get up to 50% off your first month. That is up to $125 off. Just visit armoire.style slash envoys. That's armoire.style, A-R-M-O-I-R-E, dot style slash on boys to get 50% off your first month and never have to worry about what to wear again. Try armoire today. One of the most challenging things about being a woman at midlife is realizing how little people understand about perimenopause and menopause, Janet. I just had a conversation with my sister about that this weekend. She is 10 years younger than me, so I'm 51, she's 41, and she went to ask her healthcare provider, hey, can you provide me some information? And she got information, but she was frustrated by how incomplete it seems, how little we know, and how for way too many people, the answer seems to be, yep, that's the way it is, deal with it. Mm-hmm, deal with it. And not only are our mamas out there having to deal with perimenopause, likely at this age, but many of our moms are dealing with their sons 
entering or in puberty, which is kind of nature's irony, which is, oof. Cruel joke, Janet. Cruel joke. Cruel joke. Thankfully, thankfully, increasingly, there are those who are recognizing that women need and deserve competent care and treatment for perimenopause and menopausal symptoms. And we know that can still be harder to access than it should be, which is why we have partnered with Winona. Winona helps women who are dealing with menopause or perimenopause. Winona is a collection of OBGYN health professionals who believe that your symptoms are important, real, and deserve to be taken seriously. Telehealth, you can access care from your home when it is convenient for you. Visit buywinona.com today to start your free visit with free U.S. shipping and the ability to pause or cancel at any time. Your path to wellness has zero obligations. Use the code ONBOYS at buywinona.com for 25% off your first order. That's B-Y-W-I-N-O-N-A dot com slash on boys. Winona, menopause care made easy. And so for those things that I might deem to be a bit more tedious, I have resources for that. When he was home for kindergarten, he would do Trackers Earth Tuesdays and Thursdays. So he'd be gone all day learning outdoor education. So I'm assuming that your reception by others in Portland has been a little more open-minded as a stay-at-home dad and as a homeschooler. Mm -hmm. Yeah, Yeah, for sure. And so what do you do? I, I, I mean, this is a question that comes up a lot for moms. What do you do as a stay-at-home dad for yourself, for your own self-care? Well, that is a great question. And it's something that I don't take advantage of fully because I used to feel a lot of guilt on those Friday afternoons for my wife taking Sam. And now I'm just saying, look, I need that time. And, and a lot of that time, unfortunately, is spent just finishing up household chores but I do try to find some time to do something for myself. I, I did join a men's group and I do that every Monday night for three hours. Nice. And I do have certain obligations and responsibilities to that group that gets me out of the house and um, gets me meeting new people. Mm-hmm. That's MKP, the Mankind Project. Yeah. And so that's can something. Can we talk about the Mankind Project a little bit? Sure, sure. Yeah. Sure. Listeners may have heard of the Mankind Project. It's international. Uh, So can you tell us just a little bit about what its purpose is and how it has influenced your life? I I suppose the, let's see, the intention would be to embrace your masculinity as a man and, and to bring that masculinity out into the world as a source of strength, but to combat toxic masculinity in the world. And that looks different for different people. And so you, you do create a mission statement and you're, you're, you're tasked with, with bringing that out into your community to try to change the world for the better. And so it's something that just kind of fell into my lap. You know, I had stopped going to therapy. My friend met, um, Carissa met this gentleman, James, came to our house for something unrelated. And he was this weird melange of something I hadn't seen back East where he was very masculine, but at the same time, extremely sensitive. So we had like work boots on, but he also had a beret. And so I, 
you know, I was taken uh, aback by that. And he had mentioned the Mankind Project and just kind of planted that seed in my brain. And so I filed it away and he encouraged me to go to one of his groups. And so weeks and weeks later, when I wasn't feeling great emotionally, I said, I got I to gotta check that group out. And so I went and uh, I was just blown away by what happened in the meeting and just the way that men were interacting, you know, face to face, staring at each other, each other in the eyes and just doing work, you know, just being really open and vulnerable and emotional and just holding each other accountable for their actions. And I said, wow, this is, this is amazing. I've never seen anything like this. And of course, I filed that away and I sat on it. And then months and months went by again or maybe a few months and I said, okay. I did know that you, know, you have to do an initiation weekend and that that was coming up in May. And I said, I'm still not feeling great because I stopped all my therapy. And mm-hmm. I said, I gotta, I gotta do something. I gotta do something here. And so I did, I signed up for it. I tried not to read anything about it because I was encouraged not to. And I went away for the weekend and it was a very, very, very transformational process. And one that I, um, yeah, that was really transformational and special. And so once we came back from that weekend, I remember the first couple days, you know, just feeling so different. They said, you're going to look at the world in a different light. And it did. Everything was like super vivid. And it was like I was reborn. And um, Sam and Carissa related to me differently. Um, I remember Carissa crying just from having a conversation with me. And Sam was just glomming onto me, following me all around the house. I couldn't believe it. And then sure enough, as they had warned, two days later, it was back to normal. (laughs) (laughs) You know, that's yes, that does happen. Yeah. And And so keep going. And that's the point in that they do, after you're done with the weekend, they set you up for 10 weeks of integration training, which is three hours a week. And it's with the gentleman that you carpooled to the weekend with. And so that's by design. So Mm. carpooled up to the weekend, I said, well, I don't want to carpool. I want to be free to do whatever I want. But in retrospect, it was such a great thing because I'm like, oh, I've seen you at New Seasons and these are, these are my peers, you know, these might be men that have run out of options. Um, maybe with therapy or talking to their wives, but they're men just like me. And that was important to see. Mm-hmm. And so we did the 10 week training together where they taught us how to conduct our own, which is called an I group integration group. Now, every Monday we have our weekly meetings mm-hmm. and there's five of us whittled down from a group of 12 because uh, half the group had to split off because it was more convenient for them. But mm-hmm. five is actually a great number to do work with And now we meet every week and talk about our um, deepest and darkest secrets and hold each other accountable. And we're working on becoming better family men and better men in general. Mm -hmm. And it's honestly the best thing I've ever done. Wow. Um, I can no longer hide. Therapy was great for me and opening me up, but I found it was just a perpetual loop of me going in. It's almost like confessional, admitting to something and then getting off the hook. Right. There's the validation that comes from just that one-on-one interaction, but I can imagine just having to interact with your peers mm-hmm. and being that vulnerable is uncomfortable mm-hmm. and out of, um, I mean, I'm guessing it doesn't relate back to anything in your growing up as you were talking about where you had this experience of, of really deep communication with other men. I know that our 
our listeners who are wives are probably wondering, ah, I, I want that for my husband. How can I get him to open up? How can mm-hmm. I guide him lovingly towards a group, a mankind group in their town? Yeah, it's- that is, I think, maybe half or maybe the majority of men were kind of sent there by their wives. Uh, or their wives heard about it and suggested it, or I, I maybe half the men were like me and that someone suggested it to them, another man in the group. And I think that's how it usually happens. You, mm-hmm. The men in the group, I have friends that could benefit from it as well, and I'm trying to plant the seed. Mm-hmm. And so that's what usually happens. And so I would encourage, some men just go in cold turkey and they do the weekend. And that can be tough. It was started by three men. One was a former Marine vet. And so the weekend is kind of structured, I, I'm assuming, similar to what you would go through in boot camp, but in, a, but in just a weekend. And so you're, you know, you're broken down and then you're built back up. And so that could be shocking for someone, especially someone who's in a, a vulnerable or compromised position. But you do have a long interview process before you go to make sure that you can handle the weekend because these men are not professional psychologists and that's very clear they they do state that this is this is men that are here to do the work and hold other men accountable and be supportive to other men but the beauty of the weekend is that you know maybe 20 to 40 men attend as new initiates and there would be 40 to 50 probably what you would call brothers that are already in the group and so there's more people there and that that's only the men that are doing the work with you but there's also probably i don't know 10 or 15 or 20 people working behind the scenes as well there's plenty of resources there yeah and so if someone wants to do it they could either sign up for the weekend and there's one every season and so uh the next one's in a couple weeks uh, they're all over the country, if you go on the MKP website, and they're all across the world, actually. Um, I think they're all independent chapters, but they all operate under the same philosophy. Mm-hmm. Um, you could do it that way, or you can do it like I did. You could go see uh, an integration group. So if you go on the website, you can find individual I groups in your community. So in Portland, there's probably like, I don't know, 15 I groups that 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 happen on a weekly or bi-weekly basis, or I'm sorry, bi-monthly basis. Um, and I went to maybe three of those. Uh-huh. But then I felt out. comfortable and then you can go. Yeah. yeah. In the weekend, it, it's, it's expensive. It's $650. So there's somewhat of a high barrier to entry, but it's a nonprofit and the money is put to good use. And once you're in the group, you don't have to spend another dime. And we'll put to- a link to all of this in our show notes. And encourage our listeners to check it out check out the mankind project and i'm sure because it is a nonprofit, they probably take some donations as well if people feel moved yeah. to support this amazing initiative for as you said helping uh guiding men to support other men and in the work i do i'm often asked you know do you do programming for boys do you do rites of passage for boys and and i always say you know i it is not for females to do that work with mm-hmm. boys and with men men have to do that work with them with each other and men have to do that work with boys there is a place that women need to step away and let the men do what they're so capable of doing if they are guided in that direction. I'm glad you said that. And that 
that is drilled into us um, during the weekend about men supporting men and and having that environment is so interesting because like my dad, there was a lot of men there that are rugged and what you would call very masculine men. So that was really impactful for me to see men like that doing the work and and looking them in the eye and and um, having these moments and emotions together um, that was really impactful. And the the group, it, it, it sprang out of the work of Carl Jung and the poet Robert Bly, and it offers a romantic view of masculinity, but it also weaves in nonviolent communication, breath work, Native American customs, and good old-fashioned male bonding. It is like nothing I have ever done before, but at the same time, it definitely um, touches upon things that I've experienced in different modalities in my life. And James summed it up best. He said, it's the greatest hits of 20th century psychology. And so as we wrap up, I'm just curious how this work with the Mankind Project has affected your relation, you, the relationships that are closest to you. And I'm curious most specifically about your relationship with your father. Oh, yeah. Thank you for asking. Um, ah, man, I can't even encapsulate that in, in words, but it's given me the courage and the support to push past the boundaries that have kept me stuck for so long. And so this summer, you know, I'm 41 and I, I was 40 over the summer and I, I approached my dad on a walk and I'd always been so fearful of doing so. And uh, I've tried in the past and it hadn't gone anywhere. And I, I finally, and I, I spoke to him on a walk. I said, dad, I need to talk to you. And my support group at home, my brothers in MKP knew that I was going to be doing this because I had gone back to Maine and I told them and I was really worried about it. And they had texted and called me when I was away. And, and so I, I, I said, I got to talk to you. And I talked to him and he was super open to everything I had to say. And so I'd say, you know, this happened. And I felt this way. And he's like, I know, I'm sorry about that. Couldn't believe it. Wow. Could not believe it. Everything I said, he was just so supportive. And I, I, I just, I, I couldn't believe it. I, I, if I had known it was going to be that easy, I would have done it a long time ago. But I wasn't ready and he wasn't ready. And so it's really helped me um, reestablish a relationship with my father. And it's helped me just be a better husband and father and a better person to myself. And on a weekly basis, if I happen to forget, and I happen to get stuck in a, in a certain pattern, well, I can go do three hours of men's work and kind of reset. Mm -hmm. And for me, that's proven to be invaluable. Whew. Well, I have tears in my eyes right now because you are changing family patterns and your Thank son you. will never have to go on that walk with you because he has it every day. Thank you for saying that. I I get emotional very, very often thinking those same things. And yeah. I, um, yeah, thank you yeah. for saying that. Yeah. So, whew. Mark, thank you so much. I feel like your experience is not uncommon at all. And as I said, I think that you the work you are doing is changing the world. It's changing your family, but it's changing your community and, and the world. And we need this, especially right now. So yeah, I think so too. Thank you for being so willing to open up your heart with us and share this experience. Well, thank you very much for having me. I, um, I really appreciate the opportunity to talk about these things, both for myself and for, 
and for everyone, really, because I, I hope that other people can find this program or similar programs to help them with their struggles and, and to be a better person. So thank you. Boys and anger is a topic we are hearing lots about. We want you to know you are not alone. You can go to boysalive.com backslash anger and receive a free audio download to help you understand the complexities of your son's anger. Also includes tips and strategies for how you can help him cope with this big emotion. Thanks for joining us. We are Jennifer L.W. Fink and Janet Allison, and we are here to support you in parenting and teaching tomorrow's men. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.